right, clap, sync. Three, two, one. Miss me with that. Oh, oh. No shot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a reference that no one will understand. We were exchanging. Were you guys awesome trying to selling. high five and Elena missed you with that? Unfortunately, it got clapped. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> these uh, are so uh, bad. Uh, <laughs> We're going to yes. need to step up our game for this. This is oh, unacceptable. Yeah, I really no hope cap. that people... Exactly, no cap, <laughs> no lie, no shot. I, I hope that... We People sound came. like we're like just trying out like <laughs> slang words for the first time. So we were Homie? talking about Homie? the <laughs> etymology of slang before we started recording. Um, so now we're just stating things that we were talking about before really yep. awkwardly. Regardless if um, it makes sense in the greater context or not. <laughs> it does yeah. kind of sound like a bunch of boomers attempting to to use cool hip slang okay, in their podcast intro, which is like <laughs> It sounds know, like it sounds lame. like what I used to sound like when I tried swearing for the first time, where it's like I just really wanted to use a swear word in a sentence, but then the way in which I used it just made like zero sense where i'd be like son of a fuck or something like that <laughs> i thought you were gonna say like you'd be like shouting some that's shit where... and then you'd whisper it because you're a kid and you're afraid yeah, of saying that shit out loud you son of a bitch like yep. <laughs> like <laughs> um, yo but you said son of a bitch though it's like no i didn't <laughs> no plausible deniability even exactly. kids understand that exactly. shit. exactly kids especially know that shit because like were you really watching teacher do you know who hit first that's a good question um, I will say though, one thing I will reference from the pre-show that is hilarious. We were talking about boomers and zoomers, as we often do, because apparently we're slowly you know, that's what'll happen to you. There's a fucking great- <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, um I do think we should create a fighting game that is boomers using CDs as like ranged weaponry, like shurikens or something to throw at zoomers because they don't know what they are and they won't know how to counter them. I just think it's really good, you guys. So listen, if you're out there, feel free to steal that idea. It's okay. I don't know. No, don't steal it. If you're out there and you want to make that game for us, write in at tyrannyofthumbs at gmail.com. We can't pay you, but we will appreciate your contributions we accept to the really, gaming sphere. really generous rev share models True. of 90% us, 10% you. Um, yeah. <laughs> and above, if you want. We will pay you in exposure. Oh, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's not become those people. <laughs> if we become those people, the I'm sun. quitting the podcast. Exposure to the sun. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I would absolutely get paid in exposure for certain things. But the thing is, it's when someone can't actually expose you that that's a problem. Like, if you said, for instance, yo, put me on a giant fucking broadcast where I'm super applicable, like that would be exposure I'd be glad to be paid for in exposure. But if it's like some shady motherfucker that can't actually give you any status and has some like has odd like metrics. Like a weird Instagram Like all the emails we get, with, yeah. all the emails we get about our YouTube channel. Like there was, <laughs> where they're like, dude, like great content, Mr. Tyranny of Thumbs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like do you want millions of views? Like, you know, that sort of shit. Um, Clearly a bot generated Do you want to buy line. millions of views? Oh, speaking of, we got a really great email. I don't know if you guys saw this. I'll just read. Uh, it's very short, so I'll just read it. Hopefully, I have it here. It's from Ella, but I will not say, obviously, their last name. And they said, hello there. Permit me to know your convenient time to chat with you. Reasonable. Uh, it's just like, <laughs> it's like, and no subject, by the way, which is hilarious. So you just like look at that and you're just like, excuse me? Like, who? <laughs> 
you're out there, Ella. You got to give us more context than that. I'm not going to lie. Right back. We're very before curious. Before we permit you, before we permit you to know the reasonable time to chat. Exactly. We're going to need to know more. Exactly. It was like it was like a demand. Like, yo, let's talk. Like, no. <laughs> It's so funny, too, because, guys, like, have we all not – do we all not exist in a world where, like, to some degree we've experienced, you know, busy weeks in our life and we've looked at a calendar and we're like, does this fit or does that not fit? And you sit there and you're like, ah, oh, geez, you know, like, Keenan, can we hang next week instead of this week? And you're balancing all this stuff. And then this dude's just like, I will hang with you. It's like, <laughs> no, you I won't. Mean, it, what the fuck? It sounds like it comes out of a grammar that doesn't have questions, which is something you can do. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. um where rather than asking a question you say like tell me about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so right. like, so you can't question. do like a mm -hmm. yes or no answer open-ended questions well it's just the way they structure it right like they're just saying like that essentially too. like query times <laughs> that you are free <laughs> like is that like essentially uh, yes, what you're talking your about? programmer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mass effect like terrified yeah. oh i will go now <laughs> <laughs> I like those and creatures. They're like giant sad elephants. They are. Oh my god, Elena! They have yes. plush toys of those things. <gasps> I will link you. Yeah, they are the that. cutest. Let's put that shit in the Discord. <laughs> but that I will that will be for after the podcast. Would you call I saw... something elephants? Sad. There's like sad elephants. Sad elephants. Okay. <laughs> Gloomy elephants. I was just gonna say that. Speaking of sad elephants. We are the tyranny of thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> a gaming podcast. No cap. One of We're the worst transitions you've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, somebody's got to get this shit on the rails. Okay. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's so funny because I'm literally sitting here and I'm like, even though you've taken the reins, I still feel like the best play here is to throw it out. <laughs> like, even though I was like launching it, but I had it, I had it lined up. I'm like nervous, you guys. I'm out of practice now. And <laughs> I was going to say, I, I heard you, you start out strong, but then you started to peter out a bit being like, oh, wait, I'm, uh, I am doing this. Uh. Like I could do it. But see, the real thing though, is that I just hope anyone who comes here for the Transistor episode has listened to the Bastion episode before this. It's not necessary, but we are going like to some degree linear through Supergiant's games. And so and and it's that intro is way it. less of a train wreck than this one. Yeah. And that podcast <laughs> is way better than this one. So like, come on, start with that shit and then be like willing to tolerate this one you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. that's like what i'm hoping mm -hmm. for them right yeah yeah so, so exactly. who are we yeah we are the tyranny of thumbs gaming podcast where we play a game each week and then we talk about it and yes it's true today's episode we are going through super giants sophomore game that they developed <laughs> transistor this game was learning how to do its own laundry <laughs> Did you only learn how to do that your sophomore year of college? Did I even know how to do it then? No, I did all McCoy's laundry freshman year. Oh my god! You're right, because then I stepped in once I met him. So can you imagine the conversation where James is like, "It was a handoff. We shook hands. We and passed the laundry basket. Yeah. And now I own him. He likes double sock. Yeah. Just so you know. Yeah, reasonable. Very. Reasonable. I just have this beautiful visual of James holding up McCoy's laundry, being like, "Is this? Does this go on the color loads, or does it go on the reds? I can't really tell. Exactly. Does it need to air dry? Yeah. What is this? Day nine? Oh, cool. Yes, yes, yes. 
it, uh, yeah, I, uh, I did not do McCoy's laundry in the freshman year of college. I just want to put that on the and neither do the I. table. I also do I'm not do to... McCoy's laundry. I feel like that's important for the listeners to know. Oh yeah, I mean like I actually do our laundry now. <laughs> yeah, I don't do laundry. I refuse. I'm essentially pro at laundry. Um, except that, um, if I'm honest with you, if you look at my my white clothes right now, there is like a streak of like blue from yeah, what I think was bleach happened. in the community uh, washer, which is un. Pretty sure bleach does not turn things blue. Yeah. See, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I thought about writing a lot of notes, but I realized I don't give a fuck. It's fine. Who have I even shown my pants to in the last like year? See? I mean, yeah. Yeah, that sounds really horrible. I don't know. Like, it's just isn't it a weird concept like showing your pants to someone? Anyways, not important. <clears throat> but I think we might yeah. be able to do something. Who are these voices that are talking? That's a good question. I am McCoy, capable of doing laundry. That's all I'll give you. Elena is over there. Definitely not a full member of the podcast. Definitely a guest. <laughs> Why do you have to say it like that? Well, people who listened to last week's episode would totally understand. Okay. This is where you prefer to be, no more, no less, correct? Correct. Okay. And on that same train, plane, or vein is Raphael. Or automobile. Wow. Yeah. That was a lot of rhymes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, also Raphael, the same idea. also mm-hmm. a guest. Mm-hmm. Also a guest, exactly. And then we have some core people here. So we've already mentioned nine times, but I still yep. think she gets a shout out here. What's up? Hell yeah. Hello. And James, also known as J Money. If you refer to him by writing an email to us, J Money, J dot dollar symbol, um, <laughs> is what we prefer. Only McCoy calls me this. <laughs> I think I've used it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people use it, but only... In spaces that McCoy frequents. <laughs> yes. And not like casually on the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like, it's so funny because I swear to God, I've spent like my entire life like getting people's full names in my phone. Like I don't do that whole like first name thing. I do mm-hmm. like full name, proper capitalization, and then there's just J.Money <laughs> because yeah. that's the way it is. Um, okay. But what, tell me, is the way that transistor is? Okay, I'll give a little bit more <laughs> than that. But um, well, here's what I mean. You guys, this game is a lot different than Bastion. Is that true? That's the feeling that I got immediately on playing this game. I just want to open it up with their, like, okay, you come into this game having just played Bastion, being like, wow, Bastion, it's just like Hades. It's just like, but then this game, it's real different, isn't it? Indeed. Think? And, like, I think yeah. also we can maybe con- – I also kind of want to set the stage on what like Supergiant's mindset was going into Transistor. Because just think about okay. it. You are an indie studio. Okay. Your first game, just out of the gate, amazing. It's yeah, wildly it revered. You are on the map. It is every indie developer's dream where their first try is like great and so well received. And then everyone's eyes are on you being like, what's next coming from them? And you start panicking because you're like, oh, wait, shit. <laughs> we we shot the target and we got a bullseye. Um, we really got to work to do another bullseye, I guess. Like, I don't know. So the pressure is on for them. Yes. Um, also, I would add to that very quickly that one of the Western gaming philosophies that was very much, I would say, juxtaposed at the time, but probably still to things like, you know, Japanese game development, which, of course, is another huge pillar of gaming, is that... Western studios like to do something and then try something different. 
They like to switch it up. Mm. They like to, I did that shit. I nailed that shit. Now I'm moving on. Whereas like a traditional like Japanese approach would be to like essentially do it again in the spirit of what it was and build on it and grow it. And of course, Western studios do this all the time. And of course, there's way it's not. These are just general philosophies. But you can clearly see that here with them being like, whoa, 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 we nailed Bastion. We should do something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed, they they wanted to approach a game. So so they kind of had this assumption that uh, Bastion on the outside looked like a kid's game. So what they wanted to do was create a more mature game in the sense that they really wanted to appeal to a to an older audience uh, from the outset. Like immediately upon looking at the game, you're like, this is a mature game that all adults will love as well as kids. Uh, so that is where the concept of the game of Transistor came from, where they, they knew they wanted it to be a sci-fi game. They wanted it to have a different sort of combat style. But that was about it in terms of what their idea was going into this. And they went through a lot of iterations of Transistor before they came to this final product here. And they were feeling very nervous. You know, every single thing they tried to experiment in Transistor, they'd be like, oh, that looks too much like Bastion. And so they try to like scrap it and do it again. Let's maybe do like a different camera angle. Let's do like... I don't know. Like, they tried to mess with the camera angles. They ended up with that isometric top-down view again. They're like, oh, well, that's Bastion. But that works. So we got to keep doing that. Um, They, yeah, all they knew was that, one, they wanted sci-fi. But then, two, they also wanted to create more of a companion in the game to make the player feel less alone as well. Um, Because in Bastion, you had the narrator the old man kind of narrate your player's movement through the world. But this time they actually wanted like a concrete figure in the world with you as you traverse it uh, to kind of keep you company as you traverse. Um, And so actually Transistor's first protagonist used to be a man with a ghost girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it used to be a a man with a ghost girlfriend. The man was going to be a boxer. He was going to fight with his fists. (laughs) And uh, they just were feeling kind of stuck, though. And they were getting really scared of that, you know, that sophomore slump of gaming where they were just like, oh, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. Um, And... I guess at one point they on the side were like thinking about doing like some sort of like fantasy game that involved a sword and somebody's consciousness going into a sword and a girl gets to travel with the sword. And they were like, why don't we create that game? Well, we can't create that game, our game sci-fi that we're working on right now. And then creative director Gen Z was just like, hold my beer. And she basically went home, drew a sci-fi version of a girl with a sword. She's like, I love drawing girls. Let's make our protagonist a girl. And that's kind of how the crea- uh, character of Red and the Transistor was created from that. Huh. Dude, it's um, so funny that that title, creative director, because like I've seen it all over the place, but rarely have I seen a creative director be like, hold on, I'm gonna go home and just create like a motherfucker. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna <laughs> do this shit. And you're like, wow, you are the creative director. Like, good for you. <laughs> Thank God. Okay. 
that's awesome. I think it speaks to a lot of how Supergiant works, though, with a lot of their games, is that because they are such a small team, every single person who works there has input into how the game goes. Um, so it's not like the producer comes to the artist and says, I need you to draw X. Like, they have a concept in mind, but then all pieces of the puzzle kind of work together to create a final product altogether, which I think is just very, it's a unique way of approaching things and it's a benefit to working in a small studio. So that way you do get something like an artist going home, creating a mock sketch, you know, in an hour and being like, yo, what if this is what our protagonist looked like? And people are like, oh, fuck, that's it. <laughs> like, Yeah, and I, I think about this too, like, a, a quick aside about work theory but especially during these unprecedented times uh <laughs> i just i'm sorry just people just say that all the time you guys know that shit you guys hear that shit everywhere oh my god it's mm -hmm. crazy but anyways um it's like one of the things that i think many companies are struggling to do right now is have that sort of multidisciplinary teamwork on stuff that is not immediately relevant so like does the artist really need to be in the game design meeting where they're talking about how to balance this ability for the sword and the answer is like no but then also yes right like a small company like this can show that if you do have this inter uh, cross-disciplinary talk you can really make a quite cohesive experience and there's a huge value to that but it is a strange thing to be navigated now, especially with all this asynchronous work and all these meetings where they try to save your time so they only take the people that you know need to be there and so it's just, it's just interesting to think about that in the context of now because you can see the creative boons of them working together. And I mean, I don't even know, having a, a physical space in a studio, who knows what they did. But you can feel like, God, how did these guys get creativity across uh, skill set lines? But they really did. And I think that's something with modern companies are struggling with a lot during this transition. So it's cool to look back and see it in full blast. But, yeah. here's the, but here's what I want to say, though. What's interesting about, say what you will about Transistor, and we will do plenty, worry not. Say what you will about Pyre, later we'll do plenty of that, too. But with Hades, they clearly reversed the philosophy of this game. And we're like, how do we make it like Bastion? Do you know what I'm saying? And I think that's something that I want to start building as the story of this studio. Because they nailed Bastion, then they went as far as they could for a long time, and came home at the end. And when they mm. came home is when they got that second resounding success on the huge stage, like Bastion style. So what you're seeing right now is them trying <clears throat> to get creatively away from Bastion. But whether or not people loved that in the same ultra resonance way, like huge, huge hit way, is a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's no denying that Transistor was not as... Um, kind of everywhere as Bastion was um, when it came out in the gaming uh, and specifically like indie and indie game world. Um, <clears throat> but I do feel like it was certainly there as in on my radar it was there as um kind of art like none of my friends were talking about the gameplay that much 
Um, but I saw the art everywhere. Yeah, I mean, McCoy's a prime example of that, I think. Like, he has had the, um, a piece of transistor art as a background to his phone for, like, since the game came out for years and years and years, but we'd never actually finished the game until this past week. Um, Mm. And I think that's one thing that stands out to me, too, about this. Like, this is really clearly a super giant. There's so many things about Transistor that, like, really clearly mark it as being a super giant game game. Like, the art style, obviously, is just outstanding. Um, it's incredible. And, like, the detail and the, the world that they build is amazing. Um, and, and the, the music, music obviously, incredible. sounds, like, very much like, you know, Supergiant Games music. Sort of the voice actors. They didn't sort of the run voice actors. to different voice actors. Yeah. Um, so, like, all of that stuff is still, like, this really tight, amazing, beautiful ear-pleasing, like, super giant games package, but then the actual gameplay in the game itself is really different. Um, so I think they both, like, very much stuck to their brand in some of their core ways, but they really branched out in some other ways, um, mm-hmm. which may or may not have helped the game, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Sure. But, but, but you mentioned one of the elephants in the room, which is, in this case, a positive, which is the art style, and yes, can we just take a moment and maybe go around, motherfuckers, this art style is amazing right (laughs) am i wrong it is literally incredible like just from the very first vignette that pops up on the screen when you hit start game and it's just this spectacular vignette of red over her deceased lover and the Mm. just the lighting it, it glows it's kind of pulsing because there's like a slight animation to it and whatnot and the screen just meditates on that vignette before you click or something and you see the sword light up as uh her we need to give him a name because i i guess transistor as transistor just like talks being like oh red we're not getting away with this dude can we like god every time i launch this game i just have to sit and just stare at that first screen for so long because it is just absolutely gorgeous i love the color palette in this game i love the way Mm -hmm. that they play with light uh with shifting perspectives and whatnot um this game just has influenced a lot of like my own artistic tastes i think that's why a game like gree last year or Mm -hmm. two years ago i think that's why gree really appealed to me because gree kind of had those same veins of that art nouveau style that i just love so much in a game mm. are you thinking of i'm trying to like because i'm t- i'm seeing in my head what i think you're talking about. are you talking about like for instance like the like the camerata when they're taking over that sort of white and red like contrast that's just so intense like i feel like that's such a gree approach to color like what are mm-hmm. what are you thinking of in your mind when you're when you're making that connection to gree? i think it's uh, I'm I'm kind of talking. <laughs> I, I it is like the stark contrast, but uh, I guess to maybe help you guys, I'll post something. I'll maybe put it on the Instagram for you podcast listeners at home. But like, what I absolutely love about this particular shot of red over uh, over her boyfriend is just I I, I love uh, the geometric elements into it, like the circles and the squares. But then there's also a lot of organic shapes in it, and I feel like Gree evoked a lot of that style as well what with like the geometric Mm. rock shapes 
but then also the character of Gree herself is a more organic, curvy form. Um, and, but, but I think, if anything, I just, uh, <laughs> I love the color palette in this game, just with the dark mm-hmm. colors, with pops of color, with the blue and the yellow uh, against a more uh, muted, you know, black and dark blue background. Yeah, and I feel like it's still, it both really still has, like, Bastion colors. Like, Bastion is such a bright game, and, like, that really bright blue of the sword or some of the bright colors that you see in the world, like, really remind me of Bastion. But then also, this is a a much more, like, it's a much more dark game in a lot of different ways, which makes me think about what you were saying, Zoe, at the beginning about them, like, wanting to make an adult game. Um, Not in the way that I used adult game last week on the Bastion podcast and was mocked, but like a a game that appeals to adults. Reason Um, she's not a full (laughs) (laughs) man. Okay. Um, But because, you know, this is a much darker game, both in terms of like themes and I think tone. Well, but yeah, anyways, we can get into it. But also just in terms of art style. um, Yeah. I I, I also really like the city design of this. Just, like, the lines of the buildings that they use and how, like, decorative and stylized they all are. I think they're really beautiful. Also, one quick, quick, quick. Zoe, do you see this sword, the transistor sword? This is the same crystal blue that they use in that one Dark Souls 2 greatsword. And I always think of the transistor (laughs) sword when I look at that sword. And it is undeniably beautiful as a color for a weapon. Like, god damn. Um... Okay. Exactly. And I, I think another thing uh, to also kind of evoke like the stylized thing, I know another kind of vein that Supergiant wanted to go for is cyberpunk, but not cyberpunk in the way of the nitty gritty, dirty, um, dirtiness of the world, but they wanted the, um, the corpo, the, 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 the fancy corpo cyberpunk. Mm-hmm aesthetic of you know just everything glowing and everything is just like crisp and clean um Mm. and so that was just another another way that they wanted to stylize this um and i could see that with how the sword is uh is designed it does kind of have a slight cyberpunk vibe to it uh despite you know the outer settings like the trails when you walk around have those right angles that you're talking about as it like sort of circuits on mm-hmm. the ground. I don't know yeah. how to mm-hmm. describe that. Yeah. And there's, yeah. yeah, that was one of the first things I said, like, in the first hour of this game when we we played for about an hour, hour and a half, and then paused. And I, I think I was like, yo, I'm getting, like, mad cyberpunk vibes from this. Mm-hmm. Which it's both really super different from cyberpunk, but also I think, yeah, like, something about it kind of, like, harkens back to cyberpunk. And also the enemies are all, like, cybernetics gone well, wrong. Well, cyberpunk is a genre as well as a game, right? Right. <clears throat> sense so i mean while at some level i recognize that the game's art is really like it's incredibly stylish um Mm -hmm. it's really like it's got a well-defined style and it's sticking to it and it looks like it's doing it really well it really does not resonate with me and Mm -hmm. i've struggled to figure out why like why i don't like it because i mean i like cyberpunk genre i like like incorporating uh tech into the art style like at at an intellectual level like it's it seems like a cool idea to me but at the same time like it really doesn't stick with me 
and mm. yeah, I I don't know. I it, a, if it just felt like a miss to me. I have a theory as to why it doesn't work for you in particular, and I was shopping this theory the other day. Um, but what it is is that this game has a, I think I want to call it faux programmer aesthetic. Do you know what I mean by mm. that? Like they put the yeah. parentheses to indicate functions after everything. I, I found that actually like directly off-putting. <laughs> exactly. No, because mm, from your perspective, I would imagine, I'm positing, it's shallow in that yeah. way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think it was trendy and cool when I was in college and didn't program, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the difference. Um, or maybe one of them. Um, it, it doesn't really actually go into those concepts really it just sort of mentions them yeah it's it's using it as an art style not as substance mm -hmm. so i could see that um also i did <clears throat> want to mention though you guys uh we don't have a name for this guy this boyfriend guy but i think we should use the same name and i've forgotten as the boyfriend from uh hellblade because that's the vibe i was getting this Dillion. Hellblade, yeah, Damien or something, right? Dillion, Dillion, gotcha. Dillion. Is it really different? Um, okay. it definitely is. Okay, we're cool. sorry to all the Dillions and Damien's out there. We know your names are different. Feel free to write email to McCoy. Write into J dot money. At... Yeah. <laughs> hey, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no, but did anyone else get those vibes between these two in their relationship? Because I, it was such this. Um, he was assuring her and trying to strengthen her on her journey. Uh, and I, it felt like it was such a supportive style in that same way. Like it really did feel like it was evoking a similar relationship style. And he, of course, is in the sword as opposed to in her mind. But it's like very similar, actually. Hmm. Yeah, I, w I would agree with that. Um, actually, one of the notes that I made was just like, man, I'm a sucker for good, well-written romance plots. <laughs> oh, Zoe, I got mm -hmm. some, some young adult novels for you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I don't think that's what she's talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well written might be a really strong term for that. Take it all back. Yeah. Do they have to be on a horse at some point? They do. Okay. It's a requirement. Okay. Got to appeal to the horse girl in me. But uh, but no, like I I did um. I I, I do really like that that supportive, uh the supportive nature that Dillion, I guess we'll name him. Hell yeah. <laughs> like Dillion 2? Yeah, Dillion V2. But it's really oh, the original. Two it's like Dillion, yeah, like 0. 0.5 or something, but okay, all right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, I, I really did like his words of encouragement, but then also there's just a lot of moments of his own vulnerability that I think... Uh, appeal to me as well just in the sense of you know it was what I liked about Dillian in Hellblade was he was not this like I guess this stereotypical caricature of a Nordic Viking man because he like he also had some vulnerabilities himself and he was able to show his softness and I do feel like this character of Dillian 2.0 also kind of shows that vulnerability because he is in this transistor sword and he's not sure what's going to happen as Red journeys throughout the world. And so he does share his fears with her. Um, 
he does show his worry like his his worries and his own uh you know his own thoughts and feelings uh you know as this goes along um and like we'll we'll probably get to that point but i think some of the last words that he says in the game towards the end of the story those were said with a lot of feeling that actually affected me more this time playing than i think it's ever has affected me playing prior um i mean logan cunningham is an excellent voice actor he has such range but i i just really think he he portrays that character of you know just strong supportive yet also can be vulnerable so well and it isn't just vulnerable in the traditional sense uh maybe that's the wrong way of describing it but it's it is that also but it is like you know and what i mean by the traditional sense is like vulnerable as in essentially like a a strong male character showing weakness but it isn't just that he also has points where your sword will be consumed with red and he's sick and potentially like losing his sanity at the same time and potentially dying and um he talks about that like if i'm gonna say if i like if i start you know saying stuff out there like just don't worry about it like you know he he, Mm -hmm. he has to deal with the fact that he might be going and might be losing his grip and he's trying to be as reasonable as possible about that so that isn't just like oh yeah i'm weak because i showed emotion that's like actual like that his he is dissolving in a way and mm-hmm. he has to is forced with the weakness it isn't just showing it it is there and it is unhideable mm-hmm. and i think that having seen you know family members and stuff like that become sick and lose their grip on reality like you see the connection here and you see the deeper human storyline that's getting told here about how someone you know you might know as having a really great grip on reality is losing it and they have to talk you the potentially younger person or in this case not younger but it's like he's still trying to guide her in that way right he's taking this Mm -hmm. guidance role but he's guiding her through his own demise i mean it's truly it's truly powerful um Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and yeah he said those lines great um no just kidding um i don't don't know (laughs) what's actually but he did he absolutely did they all did they all did always it was kind of like those those red moments are also kind of comical just because it kind of he made it also kind of sound like drunk slurred speech sometimes yeah it's like when you have a really like far gone buddy with you being like that's my star (laughs) you go girl (laughs) yo they're gonna they're gonna say things that are mean but you gotta like be strong okay okay thanks for this contribution you know i always thought you're like okay all right (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely i also think one more thing that i noticed about his character and their interactions that i found like i don't know why i found it shocking maybe i just never really heard a video game do it or do it in a convincing way was like he like professes her deep love for his deep love for her several times in like very like sort of like touching sort of like deep moments what i said back there i want you to know i meant it yeah i mean but really but really and i don't know if i've ever heard a video game tackle that before or do that and i think it's somewhat unusual anyways um for male characters to to like you know kind of in a very genuine and deep way to profess their love for for some woman but um 
Or for some woman. Some woman. That, that did sound really dismissive of her character, and I'm so sorry, Red. But, like, for anybody, I think it's, like, kind of unusual to see. But I'd never heard it in a video game, and it, like, kind of took me aback, and I was, like, sort of uncomfortable about it. It's also... Um, do you think it's... Do you think it's uncomfortable because Red can't talk back? Like, in maybe, maybe in other games, like, there is... There are male characters that say, like, I love you. But then there's also, like, the... <laughs> Too, or something like that. Yeah, like, dude, the way you just said that is exactly why <laughs> video games don't do okay, that shit. But, no. they come up like that yeah, every time. but I think that's part of it too. So I think it's probably like both of what Zoe just demonstrated for us. It's like one, and you're like, yeah, there's no response, which I think like anytime you hear someone be like, say something really like mm-hmm. well, that's touching or that's meaningful fear, right? to somebody else and they don't say anything back, I think you're instantly uncomfortable because you're like, oh shit. Well, one of the most famous moments at all of Star Wars in related to this topic is uh like Han Solo, right? Like she's like, I love you. And he's like, I know. <laughs> and then he gets like encased in fucking, I want to say kryptonite. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> but, <laughs> wow, right? Star yeah, Wars no, fans. It's actually really great because that way Superman can't fuck with him. It's great. <laughs> um, not important. But the other thing I would pause. so many fandoms right now. The other thing that I would pause. <laughs> I referenced Star Wars. What do you, you want to hate me for that? I gave you a shout out just because I did a shitty job. Anyways, okay. Um, why am I fighting with Star Wars fans? I love you. Okay. Um, be done. Um, Oh, that's another but, awkward but wait, moment. Wait, I love you on I podcast. Fit, I <laughs> no, but stop. Okay. I want to finish o- my no, no, no. point. Oh, okay, fine. Because Zoe also demonstrated that, yeah, it's uncomfortable to hear someone say something like that, something like, so kind of like personal and, and deep and has someone not reply. But also, like, I think a lot of times when you hear it in video games or in media in general, it's like that, like, I love you. I love you too. Like, it's very kind of, it's, um, I don't want to call it shallow because professing your love for someone's not shallow. Can be. Cliche. Cliche maybe is a good way. But like this came off, like the writing of this came off as like very vulnerable and genuine and sort of like very deep and heartfelt maybe is like the way, which I, I really took me aback and I was very, I was yeah. temporarily very uncomfortable. I would add on that though really quickly. Another element is that this is a very short game and he does it very early. There yes. hasn't been much development in the relationship really. It's well, all before the scenes. But there has been, right? It's before, it's before we get there. Well, yeah, but that's... Of course, that's what I mean. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so but it, yeah. it's kind of impressive that they managed to make it convincing even in that context. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. But I think that does add to the awkwardness a bit because you're just sort of like, they've only just met in my mind. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Which, like, okay, that's just the reality of the situation, but yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't, for example, you know, oftentimes I tell people that don't play games why I like, why I like stories in games, why I think they're powerful. And one of the things is they can. They can have character development over many, 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 many hours. They can have character development over many, many, many games. They can have character development over long, long periods of time. And this doesn't have that opportunity. It doesn't have that capability to do that. And yeah, exactly. Really impressive for how much it nails, but it, it, it just, it can feel a little jarring. This is like, it's not quite like when you watch one of those TV shows that's like 20 minutes long and they like have an arc in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, come on. Like, they're like, oh. We were going to find Atlantis. We almost found Atlantis. We found Atlantis. Like, that's all they have time for in 20 minutes. But, like, here, like, they have a lot more time than that, but they don't have a lot to really go through it. And that really isn't the purpose either. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just Mm -hmm. a window into this relationship. But I do think that adds to the awkwardness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think just overall, like, I... On its surface, this game is a love story because it's Red having her, I will find whoever did this to you and I will murder every last one. Um, You know, I will will get you back. Um, And 
on its surface, it seems very, yeah, it seems very shallow that way. Um, but also, I just, I, I think also what appeals to me about this particular love story is that it's just another unique way in which the love is expressed. I mean, we did speak in the way that Dillian 2.0 talks to her and everything, but also, like, she communicates her love to him through music, which is really unique, where they give you a button in the game. I think for, for mouse and keyboard, you hold down tab, I think. And like, she will just hug the sword and she will hum to mm -hmm. the soundtrack mm -hmm. that's playing. Mm -hmm. And that moment in itself, while, you know, while uh, nonverbal is just very touching and really communicates just how dear these people hold each other. Um, and I don't know. I just think that's so beautiful and unique. And, you know, I could just go on and on gush and get all mushy-gushy <laughs> romantic about it. But, like, I, I just think that's... It, it's just a diff such a different way to express love um, that goes against how other media usually portrays the sort of connection, um, which is awesome. And then it has a sister bind, the flourish, where you throw your sword in the air and jump and grab it. Which is badass. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, like and also doesn't stop the movement, so it's easier to do. So she also communicates through the uh, what the OVC terminals. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So like mm -hmm. each of them is set up, so it's like it's some post you can expand it for more details, and then there's always like a send feedback, and often she'll like start typing feedback, and then she'll like delete it, and then actually write a message to. Uh, her lover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think she yeah. does that more towards the end of the game when things are like getting kind of scary. Mm -hmm. um, and she'll ask like, you know, but you can still hear me, right? Or like those kind of, you know. And yeah, I agree. I like those moments. I found the terminals at the beginning of the game to be questionable. And then as they kind of developed, I was like, oh, I like this part of how they're using them. Um, mm -hmm. The terminals are maybe the most cyberpunk aspect of the whole game maybe outside of maybe the art style like just in the way that it's like even though it is a clean cyberpunk as we've been talking about it still has that like it's dominated by technology this world is but the mm -hmm. technology is failing and being used for potentially the wrong purposes and so it's just like everything's erroring and you can't be heard and all these moderators um by the way this game was made a bunch of, a long time ago and you sit there and you're like this comment about how this okay yeah this comment about a comment that's going to be moderated still stands today like this is <laughs> yeah. I'm, i see you i see you mm -hmm. yeah so what do, you, what do you guys feel about the terminals because they are different than the main flow to say the least but they add a different flavor a different aspect like what would you guys think about that stuff so i really like them uh in that like they're sort of talking about the lore of the world like mm -hmm. telling you about what it is and in a lot of games that's the most interesting part to me um that being said, I actually ended up really frustrated with that aspect of this game because it's always like hinting at things, but you never actually get to the bottom of anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was left with like this unfulfillment, I guess. Yeah. You... Do you have an example? I'm curious. Yeah. So like major spoilers. Uh, <laughs> 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 the game is clearly like a simulated world, right? Like people are living in some sort of virtual reality. Mm -hmm. um, and they always have this thing like, see you in the country. Right. And 
it's never really explained what the country is. Uh, so it's like, is it the real world? Is it like another simulated world? Is it like another region of the simulated world where people go as heaven slash hell or afterlife, whatever? Um, it it seems like it, but like it's never really explained. Um, and I I wanted to know more about that, and there was just nothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's vague, and I think we've I think we're gonna and evocative. Yes, mm-hmm. I have a feeling that. I mean, we've had games like this already, haven't we? Um, where it's just, this is one of those things that one's tolerance to this vagueness is is something that comes into play here. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I On did, both sides yeah. of that. I yeah. did. I was thinking about you, Raphael, as we were playing this game with the terminals because I um, did not like the terminals until, I mean, I liked, I actually, so I enjoyed the lore of them. I liked... I was like, you know, when you get, you realize you get to like, everyone just votes on the color of the sky. I was like, I mean, that's interesting. I can be intrigued by that. Um, but generally, I thought that they really broke up the flow of the game. And I think they're, we can talk about more later, but I think they're like one of several things that breaks up the flow of the game. Mm-hmm. But I was yeah. thinking about Raphael because I remembered in Cyberpunk how like Raphael would read, I mean, every yeah. one of those, whatever you called books. those things that you picked up. Mm-hmm. Essentially books, but like... Yeah, all those data pads, whatever they're called. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was sitting there being like, oh, Raphael might be enjoying these in a way. Because I, I, you know, I guess I hadn't really considered them in that way. And then I was thinking about Raphael as I was playing, being like, well, there is like a lore side to this that you could find enjoyable. Um, yeah, so I mean, there is like some subtle storytelling there. Uh, for example, you can gather that it's a post-scarcity society because there's no mention of money at mm-hmm. any point. Mm-hmm. Everything's like, for free. Food's for yeah. free. You can just you, order. You a order pizza. your flatbread, and they're just like, "Okay, it'll be delivered." Damn, it's beautiful. I do agree. Like the, I, I I did like the terminals. I think overall, but I think there were maybe one or two that were oddly placed in the world. Oh, definitely. And the one instance that I can think of where it really broke up the flow of things is when there's a pseudo flashback scene. Um. Where they just played the vignette that shows the transistor stabbing Red's boyfriend. And Red, the the game kind of goes like black and white as you are back as Red with her dress intact. Like kind of cowering and scared. And you're meant to walk up to your boyfriend and see the sword stab to kind of cement that connection of, ah, it is the boyfriend who's in this sword. Um, but there's an OVC terminal that you run into, like, before you get there that you can open up and as you're scrolling through the story, you can hear him in the background be like, Red, where are you? Where oh, yeah. We went at a same experience. You're right. Yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so that one's like, and, I mean, I don't know. That one's so crazy that, like, it feels, like, really intentional. Like, that one is, like, so wildly out of place that I don't even know where to place it. Right? Like, because, mm-hmm. like, because of the, the voice lines that even reference it, like, it is really a strange instance but even just the normal ones guys like i'm actually curious i want to hit up james a little bit for this because he was talking about outer wilds saying that sometimes it's hard to read the text because there's all these flashing lights and shit going on they will literally you will open a terminal and they will just talk to you like aggressively i loved it okay awesome (laughs) awesome yeah yeah Um, um i loved the the terminals a lot more than most other lore dumps in other games 
I think a lot of it was because they were restricted to a pretty close to like 15 seconds per one. Um, and so while it did kind of break up the game, it didn't last that long and it was like, it talked to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, my ADHD wasn't like, all right, fuck the text. Let's keep going. Um, and I thought that they did kind of really, um, kind of natural, um, peeks into the world. Like it didn't feel vague because there was a writer in the back being like, it'll be vague so that people can figure it out for themselves and make their own choice. Uh, which I feel like a lot of games do and it's really heavy handed and I hate it. Um, and I'm just like, make a choice and, and then be vague with that choice being made. Don't, don't make us write the story for you. <laughs> um, I thought that there was a really coherent world that we were, we were seeing, um, kind of windows into, um, and yeah, I mean, I also kind of loved the, uh, the little like do 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 thing when you opened one up. Yeah. I thought that that was great. It, um, yeah. That one also reminded me a lot of cyberpunk and then this, the noise that it makes when the news starts to play, if you're like in an elevator, it's very mm -hmm. innocent to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Quick, um, quick, quick question, you guys. I'm actually just curious flow wise, how we played this game. I say this because there's a lot of instances where you can interact with something and it will overlap the dialogue that's already going on right now. Like they spawn you in a, <laughs> that's what, a, what an awful term, but yeah, like you find yourself on a, you know, a particular level or a plane or something like that. And immediately there's an outlook or an overlook, right. That you can interact with. And you know, you'll have some like cool interaction about it. She'll flick her hair or something like that. And you'll hear some, but they're also talking to you. And you're like seemingly having a purpose and you seemingly want to move, but you don't want to miss this overlook. So did you guys sit there, wait for the dialogue to finish, chill in that relish, maybe flourish a couple times, then interact with the overlook? Or like what, what was the kind of approach to the flow of the, the game when the dialogue can, can overrun itself so easily? I typically, whenever there was dialogue, like... If I see an interactable object, but then there's also some dialogue occurring, um, I, w I would just kind of stand still and just relish in the world. Um, yeah. Either that or I would just kind of like pace back and forth, but like not nearly in a more like I think like in games like Mass Effect, it's like my pacing back and forth is like a very impatient Agitated, of it's like yeah. okay get on with it get on with it but like mine was just kind of more of like an enjoyable like perusal of the world like noting the lookout area and being like i want to go there next but he's got something to say 
And so I would just kind of, yeah, I would like flourish in place or I would just, you know, just stop and stare and like look at the pretty visuals and whatnot. Yeah, because it feels like there's a lot of opportunities for someone to press A on something that they shouldn't have <laughs> and like get I definitely confused. did that a few times and lost the tail end of dialogue, but it was always by accident. Um, which means that I probably missed a few important lines here or there. Um, but that's, that's life. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I had the same. I don't remember thinking a lot about pacing it and waiting for dialogue to play out, but I do remember a few instances where like, I realized that I cut it off by interacting with something and kind yeah. of was a little bit annoyed. So I think we did. I mean, I don't know, Lynn, do you want to like, you diluted to a little bit, but do you want to make your case about the flow of this game? Like, I Let feel me like grab you have my a... notes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that especially the, well, the whole game feels very, very different to me from Bastion, but especially like, I think the first maybe hour, hour and a half, maybe because we had just played Bastion, like we were adjusting um, but I think that there's a lot of things that break up the flow of this game that didn't exist in Bastion that, um, I preferred the Bastion style because I think we talked about it some last week where when you're in Bastion, it feels like you're really in it and you're just kind of like, you're just playing like you're hanging out, you're going through a section, you finish a section, you go back to the home world, you probably just pop back out because those sections are very small and kind of achievable and I always just felt like the like Bastion really flows for me um but I think in Transistor there's a lot of like game mechanics that stop your gameplay and stop your movement and stop the di you know stop whatever's happening and make you sort of pause like for example the first one that I noticed that happens a lot that's really different from Bastion is that every time you finish a combat encounter that little level tracker pops up and there's usually a little line of dialogue that goes along with it, like, yeah, like, you got him, champ, or, what, you know, whatever. And it, you know, crosses off the enemies that you've had, and then it shows your progress towards the next level. Um, but it's sort of jarring coming from Bastion, like, having that pop up all the time. And then there's also the terminals, um, which pop up. Um, and yeah, I like Zoe, I wrote, actually, I can see, I wrote it on my notes, like that one in the beginning of like the last night sequence is really bizarre and, and breaks up that whole scene. Um, so the level up system breaks up the flow a lot. And then even the fact that there is, I mean, obviously like one of the big differences between Bastion and Transistors is that this has a level up system and has like ability, like kind of an RPG element to it that you need to put into place. Um, but I just found that like this, this game was broken up a lot like that my my immersion in it and the flow of it kept getting interrupted and that was something that i didn't enjoy about transistor so hmm. i would say actually like this permeates every aspect of the game mm -hmm. like it's not just that there's an interruption between like between encounters there's interruption to go into the terminals there's interruption to go into the access points most of which don't actually offer you anything meaningful to do like mm -hmm. it's like okay i've kind of already settled on my build i didn't get any new options so this is just a save point that brings up a menu that i'm then going to close mm -hmm. yeah. um yeah but like the whole combat system is based around this turn mechanic where 
you like press spacebar and then you can like plan out a sequence of moves and then execute on it. And then you have this recovery period yes. where you just yes. run around and hide behind things. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then you do turn again. Yes. And I I just hated this from a design perspective. So so let's let's talk about that elephant in the room, mm -hmm. which might be bad, which is mm -hmm. the combat system. Um can okay. I yeah. can I add one more thing sure. to the uh yeah. to the list of yeah. things that kind of stop you from playing? Yeah. Um there's a number of like really awesome art pieces that you like look at and your character just like stops and looks at the wall and there's this like gorgeous mm -hmm. uh poster on the wall and usually it's of red your mm -hmm. character <laughs> um and that also stops you um and you just look at it and you hear uh dillian talk to you um, <laughs> i love that and you have to click <laughs> and there's no prompt to do so yeah uh, otherwise it um, will just stay there interesting my control oh, I and i didn't that. i didn't mind that at all um sure. but it does it does definitely fit into the like this is a game where you stop and look and then you start and then you stop mm -hmm. and then you start it's not it's like intentionally designed to be broken up in these sequences of um like action stop action stop right and i think like when it comes to the actual combat of the game like they wanted to have a turn-based rpg game in a way but they wanted to innovate off of that concept and so how how they approached it was that the space bar pause in time would be you planning out your move and then the recovery period is essentially the enemy's turn to attack you um and you can kind of see that also with like the the end game level up screen where it's like you know you defeated like yeah xxp gained and you know you're this closer to level 15 and whatnot um i feel like those are very like definitely feels very yeah very turn-based um type like it reminds me of like a like pokemon in a way where it's just like yeah. you expect victory music almost yeah. um, um you can at the final boss too i want to to your point at the final boss when you are exchanging turns with the final boss it really kind of realizes what you're talking about um also mm -hmm. when they're right. taking turns you're taking turns but okay yeah go on mm -hmm. oh no yeah exactly so okay. like it and also it, it, it was also like a big um hang up of theirs of like okay well we want to provide enough access terminals for so people who want to explore builds a little bit like have a more ver more various builds could have the opportunities to do so but they also did it under the like under the understanding that probably by you know halfway through the game people have their core build set up and therefore the access points are nothing but just like checkpoints to hit and get out of except um, i know then they double down 
where they say if you get hit enough, you lose abilities, and you are forced to change your build, and forced to go in the access terminal, and forced to think about new compositions and try new stuff, which sounds on the outside like a good thing, and in some ways it is, but in other ways, it is a huge break of pace. Because if you have your build that you like, go fuck yourself. You lost it. Um, try something mm-hmm. new is also another aspect of this too mm-hmm. that is definitely always hounding you should you not be careful right they called this the quote unquote eat your veggies approach <laughs> to the, to the play style where it's like they they wanted players to they felt like with bastion that players would find a comfortable weapon and they would stick with that weapon for the entirety of the game. And I think from last week when we talked about this, we were all we all were kind of finding our own groove yes. with that. Yes. And so mm-hmm. they tried to like why why they wanted to make players uncomfortable, I guess it's just an experiment that they wanted to try out. And the player failure system that they have set in place with this, which is yes, if you lose hp and your hp bar depletes you don't die but you lose a piece of your uh of your build and you'll keep losing pieces of your build until you have nothing left in your transistor and then you actually like fail and have to start over so it's a lot of second chances um or you know it's a it's a lot of a lot of chances that you get uh it's not the end all be all um but it was definitely a way that they they wanted to, and in a way, I can understand because if you're if you're creating a combat set that has so many iterations um, off of it, and you have abilities being able to chain off of others, it's like you kind of want to put that on display, uh, and you want players to discover this and realize how OP it is. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I can see why it would be really uncomfortable and annoying. I know my first time playing this, like, I heavily relied on the jaunt. Uh, the dash? The, yeah, the jaunt is like the dash mechanic. And, of course, they, they take your most used uh, ability off. I, it's either most used or most expensive, I think it might be um, most resource expensive, but maybe you upgraded it with some badass shit so it died first. Right. And so they'll usually take, you know, whatever the, is the most used off first. Um, I didn't get that a lot in this playthrough only because at literally every access point I was switching stuff around. I was yeah. trying out new passes. I was uh, passives. I was trying out new upgrades. I was just trying to find certain iterations. I think I finally got my core build with maybe only about three access points left to go in the yeah. game. Um, but again, that's after multiple playthroughs of this game. Um, as a first timer, I could see that being really annoying. But it's not just really annoying. It's a lot to wrap your mind around. It's a really, by the way, okay, at its outset from the premise, it's a really cool system. Every ability can also be an upgrade to another ability, and it can also be a passive on you and so you're like combining all these pieces together it's super cool as a premise but in execution you're like every time you get something new you're like holy shit what the fuck does this mean and you're like reassessing the whole system and it's a lot of time to do that um i would also just say my main core piece about this is just that i think from a combat perspective this game is tuned wrong i think it's tuned badly 
um, because, and I think this is sort of what Raphael was referencing, um, but when you say things like, there's this recovery period, why can't I do anything? I totally agree with you, by the way. But why I think that is there, outside of the fact that it is somewhat turn-based, is because of the way that they, from a balance perspective, approached everything in this game. So there is, so the jaunt actually is the one, I believe, where you can jaunt, okay, it's a dash, it's amazingly powerful, but as an upgrade, I believe, it allows you to use your abilities during the recovery period. Do you see what I'm saying? And so mm -hmm. this is very powerful, but the, but you, but think about the way that this balances every ability. So they're like, well, in order for this to be a badass upgrade, no other ability can be used during this period. So now yep. it's this awesome upgrade you can get, but everything else feels like shit. And this is true of everything. For instance, another one is you can speed this attack up. How do we make speeding an attack up feel really awesome? Well, we make it feel like shit if it's not sped up. And that is unfortunately the reality across every ability in this game, as far I, as I'm concerned. Yeah. I completely agree. <clears throat> and I mean, I I understand like turn is way too strong. You couldn't just repeatedly turn, otherwise every encounter would be completely trivial. Right. But like having the high followed by a necessary low i mean i feel like it works better in games when it's more about like you're juggling to maintain a high because then it's like it's kind of on you to be in that state and it feels really good when you manage to um and you can kind of do that in this game if you create specific attacks that are really quick and kind of spammable, you can kind of stay mostly outside of John, uh, outside of turn, and then kind of yeah, do but turns then you don't for get to huge turn. damage and um, and safety, which is how I ended up playing the game most of the time. Um, was I was I was using the turn in order to rush down enemies or get away when there were too many enemies like around me or too many attacks were piling up. Um, um, yeah. And I think also on like the, I, I didn't find the complexity of the like three modes for each ability hard, but I felt like most of them were completely inconsequential. Like hmm. even the speed up, it really didn't make a difference. Really? In, almost any scenario well it, well it, it didn't really it does make a difference but does it make it the snappy bastion style combat system that you were kind of hoping when you saw a giant blue sword no and no. it's really really shown by the first ability you ever get which is like crash or some shit and it's like those it's like this is your primary melee weapon by the way what's hilarious you have a fucking sword you don't have a fucking blows. melee you shoot mm -hmm. everything. <laughs> yep. And not only do you shoot, you shoot like a fucking cannon. To be fair, one thing that I do like about the way they designed this sword and the character is that she's just dragging it around because it's huge. Yeah, it's badass. Right? She can't lift yeah. it. She's yeah. not this super... She's a singer. She's not like a super buff warrior who's been training her entire life for this. She's a singer who got this random sword that has her boyfriend stuck inside and she's just trying to destroy all these things that are trying to kill her. So I actually, I liked that part of the character design and like the moveset design. It's like when she does do that move, which I know I wrote your note and it says in your notes, did a quote, did I bounce off this game because the standard sword move is terrible? <laughs> I'm not arguing with that. You don't like that sword move, but I, I like the... 
like the thought behind it of like it's really heavy so she's got to like really like get it up there and like it's slow and it takes her a long time to do another one cool idea bad execution it's contradicted by the virtual world with crazy physics like the flourish where she throws it up in the air and it floats for a while and she flies with it really (laughs) good point for amazing attacks no but the thing is like it is i i want to not I really want to emphasize that from my perspective, this is a really cool premise for a combat system. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed aspects of it. But I really felt like instead of saying this is that tight action platformer you want, but as an accessibility option, we allow you to slow down time and do some other badass like plays like this. And then you can upgrade your shit and they go crazy. So your moves are already fast. Because keep in mind, from a, okay, from a technical standpoint, there are wind-ups and wind-downs that are fucking out of this world for every fucking ability, including the dash. That dash feels like shit to spam. You like yeah. dash and you stand. You're like, fuck me. And you want to be dashing around hella fast, hella like sweet, but it isn't like that. It feels like it's almost just the run you know, speed. You want, you want yeah. that dash from The Witcher that Siri has? That's what I was thinking oh about when we, were doing, when we were doing this. <laughs> yeah. For anyone who's played The Witcher, Siri's dash is like the most OP dash. I actually like had a hard time playing with it because it's so fast. You can't figure out where the fuck you are. Yeah. But like <laughs> that's the opposite of this dash where... It's yeah. huge, and it's like great dash, but then you're stuck at the end of it. Yeah, um, yeah. But so that that that's there because again, they started with the base of these abilities is I would argue not good for all of them, and then from there we add to like how do you get them to good? But because you don't have multiple abilities to speed multiple things up, because you don't have multiple abilities to do extra range on things, you kind of end up being like I have one movie or <laughs> movie one move that I'm like satisfied with i guess like guys dude that fucking bomb that you put like you you or like summoning the dog this shit takes for fucking ever oh my god the yeah. dog was so bad <clears throat> and by the oh, way there's I a boss fight heavily the on dog the dog, the dog yeah. ability yeah, is the most op shit as a as a um a passive okay is the I, most so op I, shit hmm. what i did was i'd load the up the dog with the with the ping no. which is the yeah. attack oh, speed user. and yep. crash yeah yep and it's basically fun, right? yeah. once you can whenever like the i guess the the battle outlines would form uh like i would immediately like i i would have my thing set for the dog as soon as the battle lines formed i spam that shit and then okay. immediately press space bar because then the dog even if it's half formed you can still plan your attack out on it um, and yeah, basically because of the attack speed on it, like the dog just runs around barking at everything. And basically there is some instances where the dog like just basically cleared the entire combat yeah. for me because the dog can still attack when you are recovering, which was nice. So then basically I just run off into a corner while the dog just takes care of everything else and magnetizes the aggression so i have to ask you did you run into the scenario with the it's like a hydra boss it's the one you go inside of its stomach you know what i mean there's like this a very the spine spine. yes Yes. can i say that art inside of its stomach is so awesome stunning it's like hieroglyphics Mm. but different it was like it's like art deco hieroglyphics it was the coolest thing i loved it (laughs) that's true um however Maybe this was just me. My dog would not attack that thing no matter what the fuck. Like, it, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's AI did not. It would just sit there. Yeah, and you had lost, like, every other ability. I, I think it was just this dog. I used the dog it. as an <laughs> aggro 
shield, yes. basically, yeah, where I'm like, the dog is just there to tank the damage as I make pot shots at it from afar. Very <laughs> nice. So I tried that, I think, but then you had to suffer through the process of actually summoning it when you could just kill the things instead. Yeah, facts. Mm. But like, and there are cool things um, ended though. up. Right? Like, <clears throat> there is cool shit. Like, it sounds like, so you found a build that you liked, and, like, I feel like we all found builds that were cool, but why but are they so few good. and far between? Do you know what I'm saying? And also... I found one that felt great. Okay. I really liked bounce plus speed up. Bounce with speed up and stun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Affecting... Just spam the fuck crash. out of that shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you just spam the fuck out of it, and then it just stuns, like everything it has good distance um and it stuns stuff for a second and a half but pause though what we are saying i yeah. think if i can distill this is i was playing this combat system i didn't really like it i found a build that literally let me cheese the shit out of the entire of it and i never even figured out what the men even do and what is a haircut because i was one-shotting everything and that's the combat system. So it's like it went from like janky to like, oh, yeah, it turns out if I just summon this thing like nine times in front of someone in turn, I mean, they just died. It doesn't matter who they are. And it's like, oh, <laughs> or like I permastun this person from far away, which is cool. But it's like you're no longer engaging with the combat system really at that point because you're just stunning everything repeatedly from a distance with an AOE. And it's sort of like cool, but. You know what I'm saying? Like it kind of like you go from like we're starting this combat system trying to figure it out to like I just beat the whole thing. Is that is that fair? Uh, I sort of. I think that the combat system is designed so that you find your own OP build that feels good. That that in a roguelike that's like getting ahead of the curve. Um, as you put it. Um, like the point of it is to tinker until you find something that feels better than your enemies. And then you just, you kite them with the bullshit. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, and then if you feel like you need a challenge, enemies. there's the limiters. Right. Exactly. But I didn't enjoy the process of using it. Ah, mm. which is, so it's like, I was like void, 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 spark, spark, spark. It would kill anything, like, hmm. instantly. Because it's, like, literally four times the damage, and then you use three abilities. Nothing survives that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I found the... I don't know what it was called, but, like, the circles that have, like, the AoE around them that you, like, spawn. If you, like, combine them with, like, knock them up in the air or something, and you just spawn, like, like the five. load. Yeah, something like that. You, you, just, you just, like, knock everything in the air, and it just is excruciating yeah you basically long. stun locked everything was our strategy yeah some cc bro cc is good it turns mm -hmm. out we learned that from league and we boy it is applicable here mm -hmm. um keep in mind at the time when this game was come out i'm not sure if i knew how bullshit cc was so fair play um i think the cool thing is though like that this is these are four different people playing this game and we all had different loadouts that felt good to us I, which I think is or actually, yeah, like, yeah. I, I think that's actually really cool that we each found our own groove of what we thought was overpowered in the game. Let that. It, it wasn't really like a, 
oh, I found a katana in the game and the katana is the best weapon in the game. Like you just slice through everything. Um, I do think that's cool. Um, And also I just kind of like the, um, the beach sections of the game that have the sort of time trial. Like it it was kind of a playoff of the, yeah, the, the back doors that were the playoff of the like trials of the bastion. Um, because I felt like those were specifically designed for the developers to put their own combos in for you to try out and like kind of, it was like a literal, they called it a sandbox, but it was a sandbox of trying to like figure out what felt good. Um, and as well as exemplify ways in which you could make other combinations OP and whatnot. Um, I felt like that was a way for them to attempt to move the player off of a skill set that felt comfortable to them. Now, whether or not that succeeds or not is, you know, up to you, the player. And whether or not that's a good premise has been born mm-hmm. out in time in games, right? Like this was at the heyday of, and I talked about this before, but seriously, this was at the heyday of when this idea in indie game development was, it was a rule. We've talked a lot about how I hate rules of game development, but the rule at this time was force the player out of their comfort zone. Do not trust them to pick the game style that has variety, force variety on them. And this is a game that absolutely does that. I think actually, I meant to bring this up earlier, but like Hades actually iterates on this in a way that's really good in that like you have all your different weapon options and you're like lightly incentivized to use different weapons. Like, yes, you will be 25% more efficient in this run if you use this particular weapon that wasn't the one that you would have chosen otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, And also you have the like, uh, you can do an easier run with a different weapon and still get like the loop progress. Um, and I, I feel like that was just like a much better way of approaching this incentivizing diversity without imposing it. Like forcing it, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Totally agreed. Yeah. It's a better way. I mean, I've been thinking about this but... since Zoe said it. Oh, sorry, James, you want to go first? I heard someone say Oh, but... uh... <laughs> No, I... I... I think that they figured out a way to um, incorporate this mechanic into the world in a, like, evocative way. Um, But I don't think it ended up being very good as a game mechanic. But they learned. This is Um, fucking brand new. They had to learn somewhere. You know what I mean? Right, but they learn. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I mean, and, like, one of their skills as a studio is um like building this incredible world and story and and having everything kind of fit together um and i think they really succeed at that Hmm. Uh, yeah i agree but I would like to now get on my soapbox because as a guest, I've been giving a platform to talk to the people. <laughs> Did you and already I'd, get on your soapbox before? With I'd like to talk okay. to Super Giant Games directly okay, as yeah. I know that they are listening. Yeah, I'll send it over. I just mm-hmm. think ever since Zoe said that they termed this the eat your vegetables approach, I've been somewhat angry. Yeah, that, that is literally the approach. I mean, that's literally the mindset that these game developers felt. They feel that these kids are not capable of generating their own fun, and they're not capable of deciding. No, what's no, fun because for them. when we tell no, that's not what it is. Okay, well, it's that's not what generating I it is. your own fun. 
eating your vegetables is like a term for something that you know people don't want to do, but you're going to make them do anyways. Now, we can talk about vegetables are great. Sure. I had a salad today. So proud of you. But like if you're a game (laughs) developer and you're trying to create a game that people want to play and will enjoy playing and that will take them through your incredible story and make them listen to your incredible art and have you go through your their, your incredible world at no point excuse me at <laughs> no point during the development process did you sign off on something that is called the eat your vegetables approach to combat like yeah I, yeah that just i that seems to me like a a bad choice because this combat system, like as we we're talking about, I think I didn't even have to play it. I just had to listen to McCoy talk about it and and watch him play it. So I actually, full disclosure, don't have firsthand experience with this, but it just feels like from listening to all of you talk and from watching McCoy play that like the combat system feels kind of clunky and you get things taken like you find these OP things that you like and they're going to work and then they're taken away from you because you need to eat your vegetables and try something different, um, and the way that it forces you into that i think is the problem and it sounds like it's something that they they came to terms with and did better later in hades and things like that um but i just think like for any budding game developers out there if you are creating something that you know your players will not like i don't think it should be in your game not that every part of gaming needs to be like this shining beacon of super happy fun times but i mean it may be it should be a little bit Hey, uh, real quick, I am coming in here with a spoiler warning for Last of Us Part 2. It is not the largest, most insane spoiler ever, but if you're one of those people that doesn't want anything from that game spoiled, uh, then you're going to want to skip the next, it's 2 minutes and 15 seconds once the normal podcast starts playing again. So two minutes, 15 seconds. If you want to be super safe, you can do two minutes, 30 seconds. You can do three minutes. That's on you. But two minutes, 15 seconds gets you out of this spoiler territory. So anyways, uh, back to the discussion. Uh, all right. Bye. All right. So in The Last of Us Part 2, which I have not played. Okay. Mm-hmm. Reasonable. Okay. We're all just reasonably about things. certain. James and I just get in our soapboxes about things oh we have not God. done. Oh, my God. All right. I'm reasonably certain. Okay. It's a spoiler. there's a if point in this game. Okay. Spoilers. No. Oh, Jesus. Are we spoiling where the last Where you play as a character. The... Oh, God. That um, killed a beloved char- other character earlier in the game. Okay. And I'm reasonably certain... That the developers knew that most players would not be down. Yes, James, but I think it's for a really different purpose. Like that, what they did there is to make you, it's a story I'm pretty sure driven. It's... that actress ate, eats her vegetables too, so. <laughs> she definitely does. And protein, probably. She's amazing, but, yeah. but like that's for, I think it's for a really different purpose. Like they did that as a narrative device and to make you feel feelings and to make the story go where they wanted it to go. And it's done in a different way. This is just like, I mean, what we're talking about here is a combat system that while it ties into the world, I don't think that it, I don't think that them forcing you to eat your vegetables in this context, like drives the story in the same way or makes you feel emotions in the same. It's, it's a very different um, version of making I don't a disagree. Do I was like, just, yeah. I was bringing up a counterpoint. It does Okay. Yes. Anger. Anger and frustration. <laughs> 
but not okay. yeah, not like empathy, anger, and frustration. Just actual anger and frustration at the combat. You know, I think there's a big difference between. You're right, James. I should have, like clarified. So like, we call the combat system Abby. <laughs> oh, God. oh God! Um, no. Because the experience of having to do that, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just spoilers for the next five minutes of this podcast. We spoil the entirety of Last of Us because I said James spoilers. and I are arguing. I said spoilers. Oh my goodness. Uh, I haven't played the game. Uh, unlucky, really. Anyways. Okay. Unlucky. But yeah, I yeah. think that maybe the difference would be like, well, I can't say game, I can't see there. I don't know how to describe it, but the, it just feels to me like, unless you're forcing your players to do something that they aren't going to like because it serves a greater purpose in your game maybe if you're doing that you should reconsider i i think dude i i totally agree with all of what you're saying but i i really just come back to if all of these abilities were fun and shit and that they forced me to mess with all of them i would still resent being forced but i would be way more accepting but they are not all fun mm-hmm. they're all clunky that's mm-hmm. a problem like that's the way I see it. It's like you're forcing me between, I just found something I kind of liked. Why do you have to take this from me? Is different than, oh, I really enjoyed this other playstyle. This one's pretty cool too. So, cause like, because like, because for instance. the term is <clears throat> get good, son. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. It only true. shoves you into discomfort if you fail. True. So you just got it. Get good, son. Exactly. Wow. Don't Zoe's miss. Zoe's just calling people out tonight. No, it's true. I don't, you need to cheese here, here, guys, I've I've heard you guys out, but honestly, I don't mind this combat system nearly <laughs> as much as you guys seem to loathe it. I think while it does have somewhat of faults, either with pacing of the game and whatnot, I had zero problems and I found a build that worked for me, and I just executed it flawlessly <laughs> every fourth, single on time. Run the game. Yep, exactly. So I had there. five limiters appended. I did not die or have an ability taken off once. Damn. <laughs> so that just Dark Souls get training has been paying yeah. off. Clearly. So um, to clarify, I wasn't actually really that bothered by the take it away. Like, it didn't actually in like get in the way of my the gameplay that much for me like it happened a couple times uh but like i can work around it but that being said it didn't feel like it it just didn't have a good feel to it and i could see somebody having more trouble with it and it like completely ruining their experience um yeah the the problems i had with it are are more with like the the overall design of the combat and like how everything feels clunky how there's the recovery after turn but turn itself so like my my complaint with turn is like it kind of wants you to be like in this mastermind mode of like plan everything out and then like execute but the problem is that executing turn is not actually like readable because physics happens after each of your moves that are not accounted for in the planning phase so you can just so like you'll be like i'm gonna spam three things and hit these two things with them but like the first thing knocks it out of the way or something and then you're just whiffing Mm -hmm. yep and Mm -hmm. so then you're not actually enjoying like the strategic planning aspect of it either and on top of that afterwards you have a point where you need to like cower behind some destructible obstacles yeah go invisible it's a good tactic I do agree with that. I think that um, the planning phase 
really could have benefited from actually depicting what was going to happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think they I think like Frozen they... Synapse is a game that did this sort of thing way better. I've heard. Well, and yeah, I think definitely there are there are games since then that have been able to plan the consequences a lot more. Um, like I, I think they try to do it a little bit with this game, just showing, hey, you're backstabbing a guy who's masked right now, so it's actually gonna whiff. Or uh, this shot is blocked. Mm. But I do agree, like, there are abilities that will displace something. Like, one of the one of the tries and attempts that I failed at was I forgot that I did, which was it? Uh, the one that, like, oh, it's called Get, where it, like, pulls things to you. But oh, yeah. I kind of forgot that it, it would bring things to me sometimes. So I'd like shoot it and I'd be like, why is this robot suddenly on top of me and just killing me all of a sudden? Like, the fuck? Um, no, I mean, I, I do. I do agree. And like, like I said, I do think there are some there are some clunky aspects to this. I, I think one thing that just makes this so different from bastion i think the combat and bastion seemed integrated with the story mm -hmm. uh and the combat in transistor is very divorced from the overall narrative experience like they they do talk about the process and how the process is the you know the enemy right. that you need to eradicate but the actual process the, the process of eradicating the process yeah, right. um yeah. Like, it, it feels very divorced, uh, and so therefore the stage between combat and travel um, just seems very disjointed, yeah. for sure. And also, I, it feels like they had, when you said, like, they were trying to make this game and then they had to, like, remake it in the middle or some shit, like, that to me, like, really crystallizes some of these design decisions, because, like... Dude, the, uh, I thought the main premise of this was that each of your abilities was actually a person that you had sucked their soul into the sword, mm -hmm. right? But then they don't play on that at all. At all at all. Like, in Except fact, they, for unlocking their backstory by using the ability. Right. But like then he's like, is there anyone else in this sword? Like, no, I don't think so. I think it's just me. But like, I felt like at some point they might have considered having multiple people in the sword that you're like fighting for or fighting with. And... They didn't get there. Yeah, they did at mm. one point say that there were lots of people in the sword, but that the only ones you could like hear were the ones that you knew. And maybe that is better for the love story that they told. Like, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I feel like they were trying to integrate the combat and the story mm -hmm. that way and then went away from it. Um, yeah, I agree. And I think that it sort of like reminds me of how we've been talking about is like a theme of this game. It's like the way that this game breaks up the flow of playing it. And I think, like, like, I agree with Zoe, like, there's, like, the story, and then it's kind of broken up by these combat encounters that I agree, like, don't necessarily, I mean, they thematically lead in terms of, like, the world side of the story, but they don't necessarily do it in the same way that Bastion did in sort of a deeper way. And then, like, the combat is kind of broken up within the combat between the turn base and the other stuff, and so it kind of just, like, adds more ways that I think the game gets in, in, in its own way a little bit. Well, it feels half-baked because there is, a, for instance, an enemy that has a great connection to the story, or at least Red's past, which is the fucking paparazzi thing that, like, takes pictures of you and shit, and you're fighting it, and you're like, oh my god, why is this one enemy, like, relevant and cool to the backstory and nothing else is 
at all. But then you're like, oh. And then there's the turrets from uh, Portal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, those are one of the enemies. And like just some worms and shit. No, but like, but it's like you see those paparazzi enemies and you think to yourself, oh, there is an interesting connection here that I feel like they were going for, but they didn't quite get to. And I want to give them credit for going for it. Like I see their vision, but I, I don't think they got there in the end. Yeah. And I think that brings me to like one of the things that I wanted to bring up about this game and I bring up about like super giant games in general that I think is we've already touched on it, but I, I feel like it deserves a little more conversation. It's like super giant games did this thing where they nailed Bastion and it was like this big thing and everyone loved it. And then they did a totally different genre of game for their next game. Like where they added RPG elements and like it's just really it's a very different combat system, totally different in a lot of ways. And so they and then I think when we get to Pyre, like, again, like, totally different style of game. And even with Hades, like, a roguelike is also very different. And so they've sort of, like, never stuck to just one thing. And so I think when, like, like, when this game, when we have, like, problems with the combat system or, like, sometimes it feels a little bit half-baked, part of it is, like, they've never done this before. And they don't – they're trying something new, which I don't want to fault them for. And I think it sounds like that by the time they get to Hades, like, they've – you they've sort of crystallized some of these ideas and and integrated a lot of it um even into that new genre of game but just like the way that they totally switch what they were doing and i think lose some of what made bastion so good because they're trying to innovate and trying to do all these new things which is awesome and wonderful but also there are pitfalls to that and some things don't feel as polished or as as smooth as maybe we we felt in bastion I think also another caveat we need to make, at least if we want to compare it to Hades, Hades was an early access game that had a lot of community involvement within mm-hmm. its development. So, you know, the the very first version of Hades is pretty far from what the end product was, but that was because of the community involvement. Um like, who knows, maybe if they had an early access transistor with a lot of community input and involvement, it would have been molded into a better turn-based combat experience. Right. Um, so, yeah, I just want to make that distinction as well. Like it's when sort it just of a really cool way to use early access. I had never considered it like that, but it makes sense well, for like, a gaming... Well, it's the main premise of early access. You just have seen it abused by studios yeah. that don't understand it and don't care. Um, but I would also point out Okay, on the flip side of what Zoe just said, though, Bastion needed no community feedback. And that's the key. That is what started yeah, all but of our love. Th- I mean, there were some rough edges to Bastion. Not like this. Not even close, in my eyes. Um, like, Bastion, to me, shines right now. Trash's, Transistor's combat system does not shine to me. Um, and it did not I sh- remember yeah, being really frustrated with it at the time as well. Me too. Mm-hmm. And... Um, all I'm saying is that we gave, we all, I feel like, I'll speak for all of you and you can say I'm wrong and that's fair, but we all gave Supergiant Games this like essentially gold star studio status, right? Like these, these guys are amazing. They're killers. They're murderers. Mm-hmm. They're the best at everything. You've, they're the best at everything. They're amazing. As long as they can follow their creative vision, they cannot miss. And now we're like, well, if they'd had some community feedback, this could have been better. So that is clearly the step down that everyone felt when this, not everyone. I, that part, I don't mean to speak for everyone. But I do mean to speak to the first part about people loving Bastion uh, and Supergiant Games for, for for how stellar it was in almost every aspect. 
But here, I would say now for me, speaking just for me, like uh, this was f- clear to me. This like, oh, hold on. Like this doesn't feel as perfect and as transcendent as the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, asterisk, your art style might be better. It probably is. Like so many aspects of this game are like better than Bastion, but this mm. isn't. And that's awkward because then it's like you see a, an amazing thing come across the top and then you're like, how much was this? How much of this was luck? You don't want to believe any of it was luck. But then you're like, can you do it again? Like, can you make another game that felt back to front as cohesive as Bastion did, including the gameplay? I don't know. I don't know. And Transistor to me was like, I'm not sure. Now I'm doubting a little. So. Hmm. And I think we might be at the rating section. I feel like we're flirting with it, right? Can I say, I don't even know, I can put it in the rating section. I was going to say, I want. I don't want to make it sound like too, like there's nothing from Bastion that carries over into Transistor because there clearly are things to me from Bastion that they take and I think make even better in Transistor. Um, like I think that the narrator is one of those things that they took what was an amazing, like really, like when we, everyone, when they first opened up Bastion, right? Like we talked about it last week, like that narrator's voice hits you and then the way that he talks to you about what you're doing in the game is amazing. And they took that same concept and put it into Transistor but now this narrator is a much more fleshed out character and talks to you a lot more and so I think like there are things that they took from Bastion and put into Transistor that really work um, and that they clearly like thought about how it worked in Bastion and put it into this game and made it better um, so I don't want to I just like I didn't want to discredit them by saying like Transistor is only a step backwards oh no so it's, it's not. not and it's not no, even it's, a, it's like a, it's like a, not even a step backwards it's like a sideways step where they tried something different and in some ways it worked and in some ways it didn't and the downside of course of their style is they never tried it again where's Transistor 2 where they where they look at these things and they build on that I well there's no Bastion 2 either I was gonna say there's yeah. no Bastion but 2 there's either, no need though, so. well actually it's 80s um, but okay I disagree <laughs> Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I would say Hades has about as much in common with Bastion as Transistor does. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with that. Okay. Let's get to the review section. Let's do it, guys. Um, Alrighty then. Uh, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Who wants to go first? James, you want to do this shit? Sure. Um, So I started this game. I played it for like an hour on keyboard and mouse. And I was like, oh, shit. Am I about to pull a McCoy's rating of Hades? Like, (laughs) I respect this game, but I hate it. (laughs) Um, Because playing this game on keyboard and mouse is ass. It just the way that the the clunkiness of the abilities that we kind of talked about. Um is so heightened by having to like do WASD to move around and then hit one, two, three, or four to choose your ability and then click the, uh, the right mouse button, hold it down for where you want it to go, release it, whatever. Uh, and then have the ability take like a second and a half to come out. all the while like dogs are eating your feet um it it feels awful 
Um, and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and then I switched to controller and I was like, oh, oh, this is so much better. This is playable. Um, and I kind of got lost in it. I got sucked in and I really enjoyed playing the rest of the game. Um, I had fun with it. I really enjoyed the references to other science fiction, like the fact that um, the transistor sword just has Hal in the center of it with the AI kind of talking to you. Um, and um, the fact that your teleport dash ability is called Jaunt, which is a reference, I think, to... Um, the Star's My Destination, which is a great book that I read a long time ago. Um, and I thought that the story was beautifully told. The art is gorgeous. Um, the programming references are cute, but not deep, as we mentioned before. Um... And yeah, I thought it was just a really great experience overall. Two thumbs. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, Pascal, what about you? Maybe a little bit. I actually have to step out for a bit. Oh, perfect. Uh, okay. But I will try to get back in time to talk about it. Yeah, totally. And if not, we can do it pre-recorded, so it's all good. Um, thank you. He has real life to deal with, you guys. Mm-hmm. We've been aggressively running from real wife today. I have been at least. Real um, wife. We've real been aggressively wife. running from real wife. Jesus no, Christ. No, no. <laughs> All right. So then, I guess I will go then. All right. So, let's see. I. It's a strange. It's strange to rate this game for me because I also try to keep in mind my first experience with this game of like playing it like when it first came out and. Um, being i don't know if i'm like a super fan of super giant games but i was definitely a large fan like bastion was amazing and it was amazing in so many like the right ways and so many cool ways and this game like you know what, what do you see before a game comes out you see the art style right and it's just like how do you not love this art style like how do you not like look at that and just be like this is incredible like this game they're doing it again they're doing it again and then I played it and I bounced off in an hour at that time. And I played it again this time and I wanted to bounce off in an hour again. I felt the exact same way, like nothing had changed. And I'm actually thankful for this podcast that I continued to play it and beat it because I do think it has a way more to offer after that first couple hours. I thought the first couple hours of this game were like awful from a gameplay standpoint, like not fun. Like, the abilities were not fun to use, and there was a lot of combat. And I was just like, how? Like, everything else is amazing in this whole game. It's just, like, stellar amazing. But playing it is not fun, and I'm having to play it a lot. And I think it does get better in time with the combat, but, I mean, for me personally, I think the combat system is... I, th I think it's bad. Like, I think that's where I want to go with it. Bad. Bad enough that I would prefer not to play it if given the option. And that's really sad. Like, to, to, to grind through a combat system, for me, personally, to 
to get to the rest of the beauty of this game is such a disservice and a poor use of what video games actually are. Like, they can be really fun along the way through the rest of this amazing stuff, too. And I, I just didn't find it here for me. So I think I'm going to end with a one thumb for this because by the end I was like, dude, this game has a lot to offer, but if I was doing the combat system alone, dude, thumbs down. This sucked, that's my opinion. Um, and I would prefer to never play this again. Um, what did you think about the ending, though? Sorry for interrupting yeah. your rating. And I, I, I was going to bring the ending up. Yeah, I, I really like. We never ending. really talked about that in the non-rating yeah. section, but okay. I really mm -hmm. enjoyed it. I really thought that they did a good job with the ending. Yeah, the whole ending <clears throat> sequence. When I, I was talking yeah. to Lynn, yeah. and I was saying, if they end it here and don't extend this for another five hours, this is a really amazing way to end it. And they ended it there, and it was like, yeah. thank you. You know, like you're yeah. landing on the actual hit here mm -hmm. of this. And for a game with so much breakup of the pacing, like this was a nailing of the ending, I, I thought. What do you guys think? I totally agree. Yeah. You think that too, Zoe? What do you Definitely think agree. I think I, I've matured in my thoughts about the ending of this game. I think the first time I played it, I was like, really, we're playing... I guess spoiler territory, but I'm like, really, we're playing all this time just for her to just like kill herself. <laughs> I remember feeling yeah. like really, um, I don't know, just taken aback. But now playing it again, like I was just like, well, of course that makes sense because there's nothing left for her in the world, literally. She has like all the power in the world to, I guess, recreate anything in her imagination what with this transistor as a paintbrush for the world but she can't recreate the one thing right. that she wants most dearly um mm. and also she'd have to like live out basically alone in this virtual reality and also and, she can't talk right and also she doesn't have her voice back either and so like this time around the ending made more sense and i do agree like i think they ended it on a perfect beat mm -hmm. um exactly like i i do kind of like the somewhat suspense like after she does it like she does it like she she kills herself under the under the knowledge that she doesn't know what's gonna happen when she does it like she doesn't actually know if she will be reunited with her lover upon yeah. doing this and even he's just like don't do it you don't know what this thing can do like you you don't know what's gonna happen and she doesn't anyway and it kind of just gives you that short and sweet little ending where they just say hey to one another and you're just like oh my god she can talk again oh my god this is yeah and just to clarify mm -hmm. obviously people who play this game know but she doesn't just like kill herself she tries to go in the sword to meet you right. know what i mean she yeah. tries to you know what i'm saying like it's it's not Have just the sword absorb her yeah. conscience <laughs> consciousness yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like keep in mind i have heard not of this game because keep in mind this is an indie darling and people would dare speak ill of this game but i have heard narratives like this that end like this described as i can't believe your whole story is a girl just who can't get over her boyfriend and kills herself because she can't deal with it. But mm -hmm. that is such a terrible way to look at this. This is such a beautiful narrative and love story. Like, it is so much deeper than that. But I also think it's not just about him. Like, I think it's, yeah. it's not just about him, right? Like, literally, there is no one. The entire world has been destroyed. There is no one left. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have her voice anymore. 
mm-hmm. which is like I think we can all tell from the story like the thing that she really cherished and held dear and like that's what she did in this world like she sang and her boyfriend's dead like it's just there is there's not there is nothing left for her and I yeah. think like I had the same reaction to be I mean one I thought they landed the ending perfectly mm-hmm. I thought it hit really beautifully I thought it was great um but then afterwards i was like oh wait but are they like glorifying suicide like should we but i i think in this context when you're thinking about someone who literally there is nothing left i don't think you know it's not just her and it's not just about the love story anymore it's not just about oh her boyfriend's not here and like she can't handle that like i don't think it's glorifying suicide i think it's someone who's just like well there's nothing yeah Uh Granted, I have little context because I just got back, but oh, wow. I also hey. want to point out that it was not suicide. Like, they have yeah, wait, a clearly well-defined back. afterlife. Yeah. If she can and, make it there. Well, no, but they also mm-hmm. have, like, the interior of the transistor. Like, he has an existence in there, and yeah. she's clearly joining him in that. Yes. Yes, I see this, and I do think this is how they tiptoe around this, but I don't think it would be unreasonable to say the themes here are very clear. You know what sure. I'm saying? Like what they're yeah. referencing mm-hmm. in human patterns is. But yeah, I was hoping Rafael would come back because I was also curious that I, I don't read a lot of sci-fi or follow a lot of sci-fi, but like if this is a world that's a simulation, like what actually happens if you kill your, like do you exit the simulation in some way? Is that what the country is? Are they all just kind of like leaving this simulation and going somewhere else? Um, so it's really unclear in this case. I mean, I think, yeah, usually... It, one, I think, valid interpretation is that, like, the country is the real world. And mm-hmm. clearly there's some sort of, like... I also noticed that there's no children in this game mentioned mm-hmm. anywhere. All of mm-hmm. the people's ages are, like, 20 to 50, I think. Right. Hmm. Uh, nobody was outside of that. Um, so m- my guess uh, in that, like, this is what I wish would have been explained more fully uh, is that like this is something you can opt into doing as part of your life you can like join this uh like simulated world and live out your life there and if you die in it then you're back to the real world um that being said like there's many possible ways this could be set up it could be like there's there's a a way of looking at the world where it's like the real world is a simulation and you could have like endlessly nested simulations and it does make some references to this and that like uh when you finish the game it's begin recursion right of course mm-hmm. to start the next iteration and so that like kind of suggests that like inside the transistor is another world in which you will repeat this process hmm. there's actually like images like there's a lot of like in-depth lore in the story of this game (laughs) i guess that people have done videos on and whatnot um i'll Mm. post the image if i can find it but just somebody showed the illustration of how they feel like the simulation of cloud bank is visualized in terms of declaring variables recursion and like end state but uh yeah also, like, just a quick, I, I think games that do a decent job and not that phony reading that we had earlier of, like, love as a concept, mm-hmm. like, love is a powerful thing. 
Like, it is a very, very powerful thing. And, like, I think sometimes people can say things like, 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 oh, she did this for her boyfriend. And it's like, that to me has such a different meaning than she did this for, like, even lover is the wrong word. But you know what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. a deeper concept than just boyfriend. It is, it is deep here. And they, they sell that. So it's, it's just so much deeper at the end of this game, I feel like. Um, mm-hmm. so that's fair. So what are you going to rate this? I already rated it one thumb, and oh, I think did, we kind of went into a tangent, but I think I'm going to end my rating section there. People have heard what I want to say. I want to move it on to uh, actually Zoe. What did you think? Um, let's see. To me, I, I guess I'll preface this first by saying this was the first super giant game I actually ever played. I played this game before Bastion. Um. I played this when it came out in 2014. It was my first time ever being introduced to the studio. Like, I, I had listened to the Bastion soundtrack and everything, but I never played the game. And I saw that this game was by the same people who did the soundtrack. And I'm like, well, this game looks fucking gorgeous. I'm going to play it. And I played it. And I really enjoyed it the first time that I played it all the way through. And every time that I've picked it up afterwards, I've had just as much enjoyment, if not more, than I had the previous time that I played it. Um, To me, this game is timeless in my collection. I just find more ways to appreciate it. Uh, Every time I open it up, I really like that the combat has just multiple iterations and combinations that you can do so you you can set you can create a situation in which the gameplay is not stale for you um and i definitely did that this time like i usually heavily rely on jaunt but this playthrough i didn't rely on jaunt in fact i never even equipped it not even as a passive and i was like wow look at me go (laughs) character development i guess um But this will just be a game that I will forever come back to just to experience it. Um, I love the story in this. Uh, I like the sci-fi elements. I like the aesthetic that it's this weird sci-fi cyberpunk, but also has this like pinup girl 1920s, 1940s vibe to it. That's just a very niche aesthetic that just really works for me. Um... I think the music is just so memorable in it. Of course, Darren Corp just knocked out of the park once more. Um, I really like that the the music in this game incorporated more of Ashley Barrett's voice in it. Not, not really the voice as much as her humming and her singing ability. I just think that put me in a trance throughout it. Um, and yeah, this game is my artistic inspiration. and You really feel like this is Gen Z's artistic inspiration. Like, you can just feel her in this game as much as any other element in this. Sorry, I'm sorry. This person's name is Gen Z? Yeah, Gen as in Jennifer. God, Jennifer okay. Z. I just came in, oh, God. With the Boomer Zoomer <laughs> conversation earlier, I just... Okay. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yep. Go on. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so this game just gets a gold star from me. I so. I love this game and I think I will forever love this game. Um 
It's unfortunate that not many people like the combat aspect of it. I guess it's not re it's not really that much of a hindrance to me because I just focus mainly on story and combat elements just aren't something that I really focus on in games in general. Um, but I I will just I will always love this game and hold it dear to my heart as like the first super giant game I ever did uh, that I ever experienced that I ever played. Uh, and that needs to hold a special place in my heart. So there you go. That is awesome. Um, yeah, I was gonna say like the fact that other people don't enjoy it doesn't mean it has to take away from your enjoyment. That's fucking awesome. And I hope more people feel that way. There's so much to enjoy here. Um, okay. Raphael, you're back, right? In a meaningful yep. way? Okay. Yep. What do you think? So I find it really hard to rate Transistor because it it has enough to tantalize me. Like there are things there that I find like interesting. But at the same time, like so much of it is really frustrating. Like even the parts that tantalize me, I'm frustrated because they fail to deliver. Um, for me. And like I don't I don't need the combat to be like the best thing ever, but I think I do need the core of the gameplay to not get in the way of the rest. And it absolutely did. Like it was a chore and it it almost felt intentionally frustrating and poorly designed and Yeah, so I guess that's sort of where the core of my struggle is. Like, there are there are a lot of things about this game that I feel like I should be liking more than I am. Um, like, I can clearly see that the art is amazing. At the same time, I think I played this game and then I just totally forgot about it. And I I I don't really fully understand why that is for me, but. It, it just, it missed me in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think honestly that makes it a meh for me. Like, it in as much as it had good, it that also led to more frustration. So <laughs> that it kind of cancels itself out. Fair enough. Elena, where do you find yourself on the spectrum? Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same about it, like I find this to be a really difficult game to rate. Um, I also think this is like where McCoy and I have had some really amazing gaming experiences together, which I'm not saying this wasn't. Don't freak out. Um, but like there's there are benefits okay. to playing a game with someone, and there are also not drawbacks, but like we tend to share a similar experience when we play a game. Right, and course. so your experience of the combat system becomes my experience of the combat system because I didn't play it. Um, I'm not saying I would have liked this combat system. I think this would have destroyed me. That's why I don't play these games. That's why McCoy plays the games and I watch. Um, but for me, I think what it comes down to is like, I loved the art style of this story. Um, and I really liked the story, the art style of the story. I really liked the art style of the game. And I really liked the story of this story, like potentially more than I liked Bastion's story. Like I think Bastion's story is in some ways like window dressing for that game. Um, I thought this story was like 
really solid and really good. And I was invested in the characters and like what was going to happen. And I thought that they nailed the end of the game. Um, but I found the first hour and a half to be like a, sort of a painful slog, maybe in adjusting to how different this game is. But for me, I think it comes down to like the flow breaking that this game does. And I that might be also because I'm watching it. So the flow breaking is more detrimental, I think, to the experience of just watching someone play the game. Because as you're watching it, you're not actually doing anything. So my enjoyment of the game is coming from like being in this world and like watching the thing unfold in front of me and the number of different ways that we've discussed where um, Transistor kind of breaks that flow up and makes it janky I really bothered me and made it difficult to get to get through the first like hour and a half of this game and I think McCoy and I had bounced off this game once before when it first came out years ago and I think had it not been for the podcast we would have done that again trying to replay it um because like by hour two we were like cool we might never ever play this again and then by hour three we had kind of found our groove and we were enjoying it and we were you know, hanging out, and we kind of gotten past, I think, some of how the game breaks itself up and gets in the way of itself. And so we enjoyed the end of the game, and I really enjoyed the end of the game, and I think that's also because the story kind of kicks in more. Um, but yeah, I feel sort of like Raphael, like, it, it, it has this duality of things that I really love, and then things that really, for me, like, detracted from that experience of the things that I really loved. So I think, for me, this is a one-thumb I'm really glad that I did finish this game. I'm really glad that we got the chance, that I got the chance to see the ending, which I think like really landed. Um, I'm glad that I got to see the story, which I really enjoyed and which like showed me some things that you don't usually see in video games that I really like resonated with and, and enjoyed being able to be a part of. Um, but I also think this game gets in its own way a lot. And had it we not been playing it because we needed to finish it, I don't know if we ever would have gotten through it. And so in that way, I don't know that I can give it higher than a one thumb, despite the things that I think it does well. That's my rating. That's my soapbox for the day. And if any of us get good before game of the year, you'll hear about our raising of <laughs> our thumbs. But I... <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. I don't yeah. think it's interesting. Like, there's such a wide spectrum of it. It of, is. It's so, somewhat unusual that we play a game for the podcast that has like such a wide spectrum. When we just of... came off of Gold Stars across the board. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. maybe maybe it's a, unusual for me because I just show up for the Gold Stars across the board. But like having such a variety of experiences, I think is interesting in a game. Yeah, and I think ultimately, I think this says a lot about the trajectory of this studio, because. They made a bunch of super fans with Bastion. And then it sounds like I think we actually have a fair distribution here of it continued to satisfy certain super fans and even made certain super fans, but not the same universal nature of it. And as a result, like this studio, they fell further behind the scenes than they were with their launch with Bastion, let's put it that way, and even more so with Pyre next. Um, I'm super excited to play Pyre because too. Pyre was a game that, like, despite the fact that we bounced off Transistor, we immediately bought Pyre when it released and then have never played it. Like, right. never touched it. It didn't sound like the kind of game that I wanted to play. Um, 
so I'm really excited to play it next week and like see, or I guess for the next two weeks, question mark, people who run this podcast. We'll figure that out. Great. Um, but um, all I can tell you is that like Pyre, without having played it, like stands a chance to be ridiculously amazing. Like it was just such an undercover game. Like it just went so by in the space. Like it just, I mean, it disappeared in an instant. The talk about it basically didn't exist on any of the channels I had ever heard. It was like, wow, Pyre's out. And then it was gone. And so I think that is exactly the type of game that I would love to spend some time with and just see, did it deserve that? Like, or was that just, was it a moment in time where they, they couldn't catch the wind in their sails or was it too different from their previous games? I don't know. Let's fucking find out. Um, okay. Tune in next week. Yeah. Hmm? That is it from me, comma, dog. Are we good? <laughs> Solid All sign right. off. I think we're good. <laughs> okay. Um, I do like that sign off. It's a good sign off. <laughs>